Hello everyone, I'm Lucy Fanger, CEO of On Technology Partners, and I'm proud to be sponsoring our new program, Women's Stars. In each episode, we will spotlight an amazing woman and the struggles and triumphs that she has faced. Then we will reflect and share her insights. Our goal is to engage, entertain, and explore the women stars in our world today. I hope you enjoy. I want to thank all of you for listening today. My name is Shanti Harkness, and I'm the media manager for On Technology Partners, a woman-owned company addressing cybersecurity and risk. As a woman-owned business for 30 years, we wanted to share the stories of women and the struggles, triumphs, and reflections they face. This is why we started Women Stars. Today, we'll be talking with Pat Britt. Pat, thank you so much for taking the time to, t- to speak with me today. You are more than welcome. So before we begin, just a little icebreaker question. Tell me something that others may not know about you or something exciting or unique about you. Nothing unique, but um, I don't know if folks know, when I was in my early 20s, um, I started playing racquetball. Loved it. Played it for many, many years. Um, But in my early 20s, I actually was able to qualify for amateur women's status and play a couple of games in it. And that was exciting, actually. Now I probably can't move as quickly on the court, but it's still a phenomenal game. That sounds like fun. Absolutely. Thanks for sharing that. So um, tell folks a little bit about what you do, where you work, uh, what it's like, how long you've been doing it. Okay. I work for Cleveland City Council. Um, The overall umbrella is the city of Cleveland. Um, Cleveland City Council is the legislative branch of government that comprises the full umbrella uh, with the administration, the executive branch, and the judicial branch. And so in the legislative branch of government, um, there are 17 members of council. Uh, Each member of council has an executive assistant. And then there are the rest of us who are the staff of Cleveland City Council. We are, we make sure that the wheels stay on the track, on the train. This is my 12th year now as the clerk of council. I spent 13 years as a member of council in January of 08, decided to take this challenge on. Uh, our clerk had left and I wanted the cha- the personal challenge to see if this was something that I could do. The clerk was a very important, uh, played a very important role. And without a clerk there, it just seemed like staff would be rudderless. Now they were not because they're a talented staff, but you still have to have direction, leadership. And so in uh, January, I think January 14th of 2008, I was sworn in um, by by the council as the clerk of council. And it is a phenomenal job. Once you realize everything that goes wrong is your fault, then you can People have to then listen to whatever your the resolution to your um, to the problem is. I like that. It sounds very very intense, and and I can relate to the struggle of 
of not having that leadership or, or that direction in, in positions that I've held in the past when, you know, such a role has been vacated and, and has, has been left vacant for a while. And, you know, the staff is just mm-hmm. looking around like, okay, well, we know what we got to do, but we need direction. Like we, we need like, which direction are we headed? You know, what, what's the long-term you know, vision. Um, and, and so having that leadership is so, so important. And, and just in the brief time that I've known you, I've been amazed at how expansive your role is and, and how much you're really responsible for. And, and it's, it's kind of awe-inspiring. Um, well, I don't know, <laughs> but it, you are responsible for everything. So if there's no candy in the dish... <laughs> It comes down to something as simple as that. You 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 mentioned you know how seeing this this role vacant and and wanting to to take up that challenge. Is this something that you know these kind of roles? Is that something that that you always saw yourself doing? Is is this what you wanted to do with your life or your, or your life's purpose? No, it wasn't. Politics wasn't even my life's purpose. Um, I am a social worker by education and training, and. And so I identify myself as a social worker who happens to be in this arena or that arena. And when the role, uh, when the position of clerk was vacant, I was older, much older, wanted to take it on, thought about it for a few months, talked to two very close friends, a woman who is 50 plus, I always thought, I always heard that it may be difficult to change positions in the workplace just because of age and then and gender as well, but probably um, age. And this role seemed very challenging. It seemed to pull together everything that I uh, believed in and learned about as a social worker, um, the, the just the dignity and worth of people, the ability to, to bring people together for a purpose greater than ourselves. And um, so it seemed like that would be the the way to go. And like I said, I did think about it for a very long time and then decided that I would just jump in with both feet and do it. And um, so uh, I was still a member of council at that time. And the biggest thing, the number one rule as a member of council is that you always have to count your votes. You have to know if you have legislation and you want your colleagues to support it, it means you have to talk to them and bring them along, get their support. Well, it was no different. That's that. Well, that's how I approached this position. And so I met with my colleagues one by one, face to face, until I had two thirds majority. At that time, there were 21 members of council. So I met with 14 members of council. I then called the council president and said, I would love to be the clerk of council. And he was ecstatic. And he said, all right, great. I'll get the votes for you. I said, Mr. President, I have my votes already. He said, how did you do this? I said, well, that's the job of a member of council. He said, how many votes do you have? I said, 14. He said, okay, I'll get the other seven for you. I'm like, okay, that's great. (laughs) And that's how it started. But it just, it it was, it was um, very challenging, very nerve wracking, 
personally as I questioned whether I could do this. Um, and then after it was done, it was like, well, this is where I was supposed to be. That's wonderful. And, and great. You had such support from, from your colleagues and uh, that, that definitely makes a difference in being able to take over another position successfully, having, mm-hmm. having that support and, and encouragement. Yeah, that so, was, that was quite challenging because you just, you had to talk about why you thought you could do this. And so. And clearly you can. You've been successful at it for many years. So before we get into struggles, um, let's take just a, a couple moments and, and focus on your biggest triumphs. If you could just share a little bit about what happened, why it was such a great triumph for you, personally or professionally. I am the glass half full person. So everything to me, um, whether it's a challenge or or not, to me is a triumph. Um, so I don't look at specific, tri- I don't look at specific things. I try to live in the moment and celebrate uh, every single thing that happens to me. If it was a challenge, then what did I learn from that? If it was a gift, a blessing, then I'm very grateful. But I do have to say my daughter is uh, beyond the kind of person that I ever thought I could raise. She is a phenomenal young woman. Uh, She is a principal planner, transportation planner for the regional, uh, the county's regional transportation planning uh, association. It's Northeast Ohio area-wide coordinating agency, NOACA. I sent her to school for pharmacy because I was thinking, you know, sometime in my later years, she could probably uh, prescribe some nice pharmaceuticals that would make my life easy. But she said, no, that's not what she wants. She didn't say that until after um, she applied to pharmacy school and did not get in and came back home, got her finished an undergrad in city in urban planning and then got her master's in urban planning. And for about a year, she was hired by the city of Cleveland uh, under Jane Campbell, I believe was the mayor. And it wasn't until the first meeting, first community meeting I went to where she was part of the planning staff and they were talking about specific development. And I was in awe of her knowledge. And I thought to myself, I guess she was right. She's not a pharmacist. She's a planner. <laughs> it was just, it was so amazing. I was so proud of her. Um, so I think she is my greatest triumph. She is, the, she is the thing that I get the most joy from. Now, she's really funny, but she got that from me. So... <laughs> That sounds like an absolutely phenomenal triumph and, and yeah. good for her and clearly did a, a wonderful job raising her. Thank you. So we know that, you know, all triumphs don't come without struggles. So um, talk to us a little bit about what some of your biggest struggles have been in life. Again, this can be both personally and professionally, how you were able to get through them, how they affected you what type of impact they had on on your life and career and what really made them so challenging for you? 
I think just the, the whole struggle of, of learning, of trying to decide what it is you want to do. And I don't think I ever called any, I don't recall ever saying one thing other than I, I believe I knew as a teenager, maybe even a preteen, that I would be a social worker. Now, I didn't know, I'm not sure I knew what it was called, but I knew that I wanted to work with people on whatever their issues were. Um, I believe in humanity and I believe in treating people humanely. I'm, like I said, I'm not sure I knew that that meant social worker until uh, later, because at one point I thought, well, I'd like to be a lawyer. And then when I took a couple of law classes, I'm like, no, nah, I want to know the law, but I certainly don't want to be in a courtroom practicing it. So that ended that. And then I think I really just picked up all my inner uh, messages and started in social work. Well, started in sociology. And then from there went on to social work undergrad and then graduate in uh, graduate degree in social work. And um that is truly who I am. I am a social worker in every single thing that I do. And so so just trying to get to that point, um, putting a name on what it was. Um, I didn't have any particular arena that I wanted to go into. And so I worked in many. I worked in um, adult mental health, which was phenomenal. I probably still miss it now. And I, I do get a chance to at least hone my skills in Cleveland City Council. So I didn't, I, I stayed in mental health a few years and then I went into um, research, did educational research um, for a few years. Uh, then I went into teaching uh, in the School of Social Work and advising students. And that was phenomenal, I did that for 18 years, I was in council 13, and all 13 years I was at Case in the School of Social Work. And that was a great synergistic partnership because students in the School of Social Work, um, I tried to get as many as possible into city hall or city council to do their field placements because there is, and, and particularly in council, because there is a great need to me, there's a great need for social workers in local government. But all of that just, it was all a big discovery process. So, you know, two steps forward, five steps back, just trying to figure out what, it, what really my message in life could be, what my mission in life could be, what and what would guide me. And so learning as much as possible in so many different arenas is just challenging. It's a great challenge. Learning about politics. I didn't know about politics when I first got in office, and I probably didn't approach it from a policy standpoint. The, the things that you do downtown in committees is far more to me, if you're a lawyer, um, I think it's, you're, you can understand it better. But my, I think my wheelhouse was out in the community with people. Um, and so trying to, to listen to what their needs were, that was where I found myself as a, as a, um, as a, leg as a 
council person. I won't say a legislator because I probably didn't sponsor a whole bunch of legis legislation, but that just wasn't my, that wasn't my strength. And so realizing where your strengths are can be eye-opening, can be sad, can, you know, it could be a, just a number of emotions, but at some point you have to accept where your real gifts are and where they are not. Absolutely. And and I like how you mentioned, you know, really being out there and, and listening to the people and out there in the community. And I think that's so important for for any person in in a political position is you're serving the you're serving the public. Mm -hmm. You need to be in the public. Right. But, then, <laughs> you know? but, but your your role in and I think this is probably the case in any legislative um position, but I know it is in local government. You, you have to balance at least two roles, one as a, a legislator, one that calls for you to create new laws or amend existing laws, but the other one is the ombudsman to the community. You are the, the conduit between what goes on politically and what happens in the community. And both roles are important, but I found out I was really only strong in one. At least you were able to, to identify that and, yeah. and obviously made it work because you were in council for so, so many years as a, as a councilwoman. So it's very good. Did you have any, um, any tips or tricks that you've used throughout the years to, to help you get through those challenging times or, or where you were maybe struggling in a position or with circumstances? Honestly, I do. I really just believe that I always went back to my social work core, believing in the dignity and worth of people. Doesn't matter whether they agree, agree, agree with me. And I mean, I can, I can remember having many arguments. I think this, this way, you think this way, but in the end, if I'm representing you, then I have to take your issues to that uh, to the next step to make sure that those issues are then uh, communicated. Uh, I can't always do something about them. You can't always help. When you do, you're going to help some people, but not everybody. So everyone didn't like me, but I realized that they had as much right to exist as I did, whether they agreed with me or not. And I'm not sure I would have thought that younger, you know, I'd have been arguing with the best of them and, you know, thinking that if I have this opinion, it must be valuable. But yeah, not, not really. And not always. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, I, I love hearing you talk about the, you know, holding that dignity and respect for other people, even if you don't agree with their position. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so necessary, especially in our, our current climate. You know, we, we wouldn't be in any number of, of situations we are today if people just treated everybody with that same level of dignity and respect, mm -hmm. you know, for, for their their humanness and, and everybody, no matter what your position is, no matter what you believe, doesn't matter. Right. Everybody deserves to be treated with dignity and respect. I believe that to my core. And I, I just wish more people held that 
understanding. This world would be such um, a, a beautiful place. <laughs> yeah. It would certainly be different. It would it just I mean that that calls for us to to be tolerant of other opinions when sometimes we don't want to be. But I mean, in the end, if everybody and I always have to think that if everybody thought like me, God help us. Because you need a variety of opinions. You need diversity of thought, behaviors. It doesn't, this world can't be valuable unless we have all that. That's just what I believe. That tolerance. And, and, I, and I love it when people engage in dialogue and ask questions of each other, because that's how we learn. That's how we grow. You know, there's, there's plenty of things that I didn't have any clue about, but I started a dialogue with, you know, the other person mm-hmm. and you learn so much. So, you know, we, we fear things that we don't know about mm-hmm. and fear is no way to live right. <laughs> at, at all. And it, it contracts your thinking and, makes you irrational and react instead of respond to situations. And and when we do that, you know, good things don't come from that. Yeah. And we're going to do that. That's what I know and live. We're going to do that. Figuring how to get back to balance is what matters as well. Like I said early on, I didn't know a thing about politics and was not that interested at the Actually, my husband had been asked to be the council person to at least run for the office. And so when we talked about it, he said, well, I've kind of been asked, you know, what do you think? And I said, does this mean you have to quit your job? He said, yeah, because he also held another public service job. And I said, well, no, there's not going to be any quitting of jobs. (laughs) Um, He said, well, if, if I don't do it, you have to do it. I'm like, well. Why would I do it? And then we talked about some of these same things. And after about a year, I think it took about a year for he and the person who was in office to convince me to do it. It was quite eye-opening and it pushed and challenged every single thing that I had learned in social work. And so it was a good but kicking experience that I am grateful for because it, it just, it opened up all kinds of thinking and expression and communicating and connecting with people that I may not have ever done. That's wonderful. I, I can relate to that in a, a little bit different of a, of a setting. I used to work at a public health department going into it, didn't realize how much politics were involved in that either. And prior to that, I was very much, I don't want anything to do with politics. <laughs> that is yeah. not anything I want to be involved in whatsoever. And then I, I was put into that position and I'm just like, wow, wow. <laughs> it's just so eye-opening uh, about everything that's involved and all of the the little moving pieces and parts and how everything has to fit together and the the layers of the approval process. (laughs) This is why people think nothing gets done. (laughs) Right. It just, it it just takes a while. But if you, there, uh, I always tell people this, if you think there are a lot of politics and politics, 
I was in academia for 18 years. Politics exists in (laughs) academia. Just the, the whole push. I was never in a tenure track position, but the whole just race for tenure and workload and all that. But but politics is in everything. So if I'm a if I'm a citizen and I'm going down the street and I hit a pothole, who I who I vote for or how I connect to my local government may impact how many potholes are out there. So it's we can't remove it. And I probably did say at some point in my life, oh no, I'm not political. I don't want anything to do with politics. But they are everywhere and they are in everything. And that's not bad. And it's not a bad word. It does we make it seem as though as though it's some sort of curse. But decisions are made in every single industry, public or private, that exists. Politics enters into decision making. Absolutely. And and the more we get involved, the less um, the less distant politics seems or, or the less scary or, or frightening yes. politics mm-hmm. seems. And and we begin to realize how much politics, like you said, is is involved in everything. And I know that's something that's been very eye opening for me to learn over the years is how much everything in, in our daily lives is a result of politics at one level or another. And, you know, how how we vote, especially at the local level, makes such a huge impact and, and how much more as citizens, you know, we really do need to be more involved and educated and aware of, yes. of issues facing us as individuals and our community. That's so is there anything that keeps you up at night? Like anything that concerns you at, at such a deep level that it keeps you up at night worrying or, or concerned for anyone? Yes. I mean, I've, I've never been shy about my where I stand. I am a Democrat. I mostly vote for Democrats. There have been Republicans that um, I voted for as well um, that I, that, uh, whose messages resonate with me. But as a Democrat right now, I am very concerned about the leadership uh, in this country. Actually, as a person, because there are several Republicans that I think would do a better job um, in federal government right now than the person that's there. Between our current leadership um, in the president of the United States and the pandemic, those two things keep me up. Sometimes I don't want to admit that, but but they do. They keep me in deep thought. And sometimes those thoughts um, decide they're going to hit me while I'm trying to go to sleep. As women in this modern age, we have to balance so many things. Um, how do you make sure that you maintain a, a work-life balance so that, you know, one thing's not getting, you know, overwhelming something else? How do you maintain that balance? I'm not so sure I did it well before the pandemic. The pandemic actually gave me time to think about what actions and behaviors that I have bring more value than than others. So having having had time during this pandemic to really think about those things that are more valuable should get a greater investment of my time. 
they're amazing. I never did particularly like cooking, never did. But now I'm, I actually find getting in the kitchen and thinking up a meal is, is somehow uh, just very relaxing. Now, it could be the wine I'm drinking with uh, while preparing meal, but, you know, who, who, who knows? Um, and so trying and so understanding that we have one life and doing those things that bring balance to you, spending more time with family or I'm actually thinking about be, because, um, you know, there was a time with the pandemic that you couldn't go to the gym. I love the water. So I'm in water aerobics. And, and although it's back open, I am more afraid of going because of COVID. And so now I'm thinking, wouldn't it be great if I could redo my deck and have a spot on there so that I could do my water aerobics there? But I'm not sure I would have thought about that if I didn't have the time to actually think about what makes a difference, what improves the, the quality of my life um, at this time. And actually, though I'm not particularly fond of being interviewed, but I do like talking, like talking more with, with family and friends has become really important. Even if we're just, I should say, communicating, because sometimes we're just doing it through group me or texts. Or um, a couple of weeks ago, we had uh, our cousin's Zoom happy hour, and it was so much fun. It was hilarious. And so doing, I'm, I don't know that I would have thought about these things prior to the pandemic. I'm sure I did. I'm, I, I guess I'm not sure I would have um, set out to be more purposeful in my actions um, prior to uh, the pandemic. I, I think that everything that you just said, I, I think will resonate with a lot of people and, and that the whole pandemic has, has really given people a moment to pause and to really think about and reflect on you know, what's really important in my life? And do I want to spend 60, 80 hours a week slaving away at work when I've got a family at home that hardly ever see my kids or my wife or my husband or friends? Um, You can't take a walk Mm -hmm. or get in the water or, you know, play tiddlywinks, whatever, whatever brings you joy. Absolutely. I, I think this is helping a lot of people to to take a step back and, and find things that bring them joy, you know, and it might just be something that, you know, oh, I used to paint, you know, 10, 15 years ago, and then life happened. And I haven't used a paintbrush since and and now I'm painting and so much joy. And, and I think, I think in a way, this pandemic absolutely has been devastating for millions and millions of people and businesses. But I think it it also, in in a way, has been really good for people in in this way that they're reconnecting with what really matters to them and embracing that. And so, you know, in in every dark cloud, there's a silver lining, right? I think it's just really important for all of us to remember that silver lining. Yeah. That, you know, it 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 can't rain all the time. You right. Know, sooner or later, there's going to be a rainbow. 
we're all, none of us is trying to go out and get uh, the coronavirus. I, like many people, um, have lost friends because of uh, COVID-19. It's here. And what, what do we do because it's here? And one of the things I'm saying that it made me do was think about as I'm here, what are the things that bring me joy? If I'm going to be away from from friends and family, if I'm going to um, have limited uh, work experience or, or work expo- uh, exposure at work, if I'm going to if if my life changes this way, what are the other things that I can do to help fill in gaps or to find? a silver lining in such a dark cloud. Wonderful reminders. Um, So to kind of go along with this theme, as women, we juggle so many different things. You know, we've got career, family, household responsibilities, you know, sometimes illnesses, caregiving. Mm -hmm. What do you think are, are some things that employers can do to I guess, help make women's lives easier with balancing all of all of those different aspects of life. Um, is to just be aware that every person, and I'm not, I do believe, um, particularly when I, um, in, in, in office, in political office, we really need more women in local government, probably in all levels of government, but I can only speak to local. And what I believe we bring is a, a calmness, a willing to, a willingness to, to negotiate and talk things out. But I don't have a workforce that is all women, and so I I try again to rely on my social work teachings, which is to to meet everyone where they are, male or female, um, and try to provide as much or as many supports as possible, because we have men that are caring for families um, as well. And so so really trying to reach, to connect to what's human in the workforce that I work with, that I direct, to me is what's most important. I do believe that, again, that women bring a certain calmness and a willingness to negotiate and are probably overall less represented in in the workforce except for certain industries like like social work is very female um, headed but I I try not to distinguish between men and women's differences in the workforce because they all need support they all have things that they're juggling um, they have sick children they have illnesses themselves they have some days where they just would rather be somewhere other than work. I can relate to that and try to give them a lifeline so that if you don't feel like coming, that's okay. Because I'm fortunate in that the people that I work with are very dedicated to their jobs and they're very good at what they do. I often think of myself as a conductor, of an like an orchestra conductor. So I don't know all of their jobs. I don't know all of research, legal, legislative, communications, um, IT. Those are not all strengths in my wheelhouse, 
but a conductor, I, I can read music and my job is to make sure that all of the musicians have everything they need and that the work we do is harmonious. We're not working against each other, but in the grand scheme of things, we are making beautiful music together. And that's how I look at myself in this position. I love that analogy. <laughs> love it. And, and, and I think, I think more, more industries and, and businesses would, would do well to adopt that kind of mentality and, and that level of, of support for your staff. Um, I've, been in positions in the past where you have no support and staff are essentially pitted against each other. And it is a terrible, terrible working environment. And it's, it's very deflating and just brings you down so much. But, but when you have that level of, of support and leadership, it does like, it makes you more dedicated to the work that you're doing. It makes you more, willing to go that extra mile and, you know, just to, to work harder and, and be even more committed to the overall success rather than focusing on my individual success, you know, and, and having that broader vision of, well, if the entire organization succeeds, like that's so much better. So, Stepping back for for a second, do you think that that a person has to uh, overcome serious setbacks or challenges to be truly successful, whether that's personally or or professionally? I don't know if they have to, but I'm sure they they have. I mean, I don't know of anyone's life that has ever just been totally unchallenging and everything that they need and want is um, at their fingertips. I don't know if they have to, but I'm sure every single person has. And it's what they decide that experience has taught them. So if that experience has taught them that life is unpredictable and something else is going to happen, but while you're waiting on that, you can do a few other things, maybe to mitigate the impact if down the line somewhere, or maybe it just means you get out every day and make sure you feel the sun or call somebody or go to the local pub and uh, imbibe and, you know, whatever it is. I think it's up to each of us to decide what, what there is to learn from each experience. As a woman, how how do you define success and how did you know that you would become successful? I'm not sure I am, but um, I know that I love what I do. And even if I even if I weren't doing this, I told you I'm the glass half full person. I'm going to find something that I can resonate to in whatever it is I do. I was going to say, if people don't run and scream when they see me and hide, then I think that's success. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure some, I'm sure some have some at some, at some point, but I really think it's just, it's finding a way to exist 
and allow others to exist. Who's going somewhere because because I'm here? Nobody. I mean, you know, this it's not my world. I'm just a part of it. Again, I'm 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 not sure I would have, you know, probably at 15 or 25 or 35. Uh, I may I didn't I'm not sure I thought this, but I do now. And it's the way I lead my life. Wonderful. Thank you. So what would you say is the best advice that you've ever received? Oh, I love this. So when I was in graduate school, I had um, a good friend, Denise Ravel. And Denise had this wonderful grandmother who had all these fabulous sayings. But my two favorite ones were a lazy man will kill himself and don't say so much, won't have so much to take back. And that one, the, the don't say so much, won't have so much to take back. That I think is the best advice ever because you can, you can, words matter. And so they should be chosen carefully. And when they are not, you know about it. Words have so much power. So yeah. much power. Because there's, you know, every word has uh, this whole host of understandings connected to them. Yep. My understandings might be completely different than yours. Absolutely. That's really, oh, so, so powerful. And I find it, um, I find it amusing that so many people are afraid of silence. Mm-hmm. That, that they feel like, you know, if they're in somebody else's company, they constantly have to be talking and mm-hmm. that it's awkward if nothing's being said. And I remember growing up, I, you know, if I didn't have something to say, I didn't say anything. And it, it caused so many problems in, in relationships with family, with friends, with uh, intimate partners you know, why are you so quiet? Why don't you have anything to say? <laughs> I don't have anything to say. Like, I'm not going to just make stuff up. <laughs> if I have something to say, I'll say it. But until then, just, you know, and, and I try, I try my best that, you know, whatever I do say, you know, I'm, I'm careful with the words that I choose because, you know, I, I don't want somebody else to to feel bad over something that I've said or something that they've misperceived from, from what I've said. Right. Um, I know when, uh, when Denise told me those two things, um, I didn't, I didn't understand the first one. So one day we were, I can't remember, we may have been heading the class or I don't know, but wherever we were, I remember us being in a parking lot and we were going, I think we were going, we were going into a building of some sort. So I'm walking in front of these cars that are parked. And instead of walking around because, you know, maybe it was too many steps, I'm trying to go in front of the cars and then tripped on one of the the concrete dividers that, you know, that uh, cars park up against. Mm-hmm. And so um, I didn't fall. I just tripped and looked like an idiot. And so um, Denise said, a lazy man will kill himself. And I'm like, oh, 
Oh, that's what that means. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I was wondering around. when you said it. Right. I should have walked around, but I was fortunate because I was still in grad school when I understood that. It took me a while to understand. Don't say so much, won't have so much to take back. And not just to understand it, but to have experiences with it because you know when it's happened to you. I I think that direct experience of of things is crucial because you can have all kinds of intellectual knowledge about something, but until you actually have that direct experience, it's essentially meaningless. Right. Can't argue with direct experience. (laughs) Right. Great. Another fun little question, I guess. Do you have any say naughty little habits or, or indulgences that you know you shouldn't indulge, but you do anyway. Yes. And I guess if I say them, then the rest, then everybody else will know. But I, my sneaky little indulgence is to, when I can, to watch Judge Judy and Judge Millian. I, I like those two women and I watch them on the bench, um, I am enamored of uh, their grace and their, um, what's the other word I'm looking for? Because it's not always grace. Sometimes it's righteous indignation, Um, but I'm just, I'm just mesmerized by them. So you're back in the courtroom after all. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm back in the courtroom after all, right. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, it's that circle of life. That's great. Exactly. I never thought of that. <laughs> so we're we're nearing the end of, of our discussion. Our, our, I know I said I wasn't going to call it an interview, but, <laughs> but we're nearing the end. It's almost over. Just take a moment and reflect on something that you wish you would have known sooner in life and then share that. I always say I'm a social worker, so I don't do math. I probably wish I would have known more about finance and I won't say managing finances because I did learn that. I didn't start learning that though till I was like 40 or beyond. And and I didn't really have a respect for it younger. I just never, I was a reader. Um, and so, and I didn't read any math books. Um, and so I wish I would have had a better understanding of finance and how that really, how that impacts people, how it impacts systems. Now, I I understand municipal financing very well. Um, Part of it was being on the finance committee when I was uh, on council. That helped a lot. But I think having that knowledge earlier um, would have helped me have more of an appreciation of how systems, how systems impact people's individual lives and, and those systems particularly because they count on money uh, and funding to work, to operate. I wish I would have had a better understanding of that. It was just easier to dismiss it by saying, well, I'm not good at it, so I don't like it. I don't want to learn it. That served me for a while. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. So do you have any pearls of, of, of wisdom or any advice that you would give to a young woman beginning their career? Yes, I would say 
while you're, I would, I would say what Denise's grandmother said, don't say so much, won't have so much to take back. But I would also say, don't be afraid to ask anything. You just have to uh, understand words matter. So decide how you're going to ask it, but don't be afraid to ask anything. And, um, and don't be afraid to show uh, where your interests are. There's, there's, there's absolutely no downside in showing where your interests are. If your company or your, your employer can't appreciate that, then you look for another one. Wonderful, wonderful words of advice. And, and it's really, it's great when you do have an employer that is appreciative of what your interests are. I, I know that I have had positions before where they, they couldn't care less, but I've also had positions where, you know, you're, you're told, okay, this is essentially your job duties, but tell me what your interests are. And if we can fit that in and, you know, or, or assign certain projects to you that you really enjoy doing, let us know. And yes. we'll do that as, as much as we can. And it's so rewarding. Yep. So that's, Excellent, excellent advice, Pat. Thank you. You're more than welcome. Pat, it has been an absolute privilege speaking with you today. Thank you so, so much for taking this time. Thank you. Thank you for making it um, comfortable uh, for me. It really was a conversation. And um, some things I hadn't thought of in years. So thank you, Shanti, for making it a very pleasant experience. So that's all for this episode of Women's Stars. If you'd like to nominate a businesswoman to be interviewed for Women's Stars, please email their contact information and your reason for nominating them to stars at ontechnologypartners.com. My name is Shanti Harkness. Until next time, have a great day. Thank you for joining us on today's journey. Remember, you are all Women's Stars. If you wish to learn more about our Women's Stars program, or want to be a guest on our show, contact us at stars at ontechpartners.com. And thank you to On Technology Partners for helping me make this program a reality. Remember, we at On Technology Partners want to help you protect your team from hackers. To learn more about our cybersecurity services, go to ontechnologypartners.com.